Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we're going to do another program in the Prayers to the Creator series. The last prayer you discussed was in Jeremiah chapter 32. A great prayer to the Creator, as you described it. (laughs) Yes, Scott. The great statement of praise to the Creator in Jeremiah 32, 17 was one of the prayers I actually had in mind when I decided to start this series. I felt like it was such an uplifting and powerful proclamation of the greatness of our Lord and Creator. It would be an encouraging and challenging study to find other such prayers in the Bible. And that was two and a half years ago, almost to the day. No kidding. Really? Really. We've been finding and studying prayers to the Creator for two and a half years, Scott? That's right. If you go back in the archives and look at October 2018, the first one we did was on the prayer of Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. That's amazing. You know, I had no idea when we began this that there would be that much material for the series. Now, of course, we don't do a program in this series every week, but here we are after two and a half years, and we've just gotten to Jeremiah's great prayer. You know, this prayer was made into a popular chorus, don't you, Scott? I sure do. I can't help but humming it in my mind as I hear it recited. Well, you know, since it's sung by groups of people, let's recite it together. And sing it? Uh, not this time. If you've ever heard me sing, you immediately recognize... I'm best heard singing with loud accompaniment. Okay. (laughs) So let's just say it, Scott. You ready? Ready. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Amen. Amen. And with that thought firmly in mind, it has been one of my main goals in doing the study of prayers to the Creator that everyone who listens to these programs be encouraged to embrace that fact, no matter what challenges they may face, that nothing is too difficult for God, the Creator. So then, as we continue surveying the Bible for prayers to the Creator, as you pointed out, you didn't find one in Jeremiah until chapter 32. Is the next one also in Jeremiah? No, the prayer of Jeremiah in chapter 32 was the only one in the book. Wow. And in the next book, Lamentations, which Jeremiah also wrote, there were none. So, what book comes next, Scott? Uh, Let's see. I always have to name the major prophets in order to remember them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is next. Surely there's a prayer to the Creator in Ezekiel. I mean, that's a big book. Wrong, my friend. What do you mean wrong? (laughs) Ezekiel isn't the next book? No, Ezekiel is the next of the four major prophets, but there isn't a single prayer to the Creator. And let me remind everyone what we mean by a prayer to the Creator. That's a passage in which God is being addressed. Our working definition of a prayer. That's right. And in that prayer, God is being addressed in some fashion as the Creator. So I'm not implying that the one praying doesn't know or believe God is the Creator, but in the particular prayer being recorded, the person doesn't address God specifically with his identity as Creator in mind. And I found no place in the entire 48 chapters of Ezekiel where God is addressed as the Creator. So, Dr. Scripture, it took two and a half years to go from Genesis to Isaiah, but we've covered Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel in one week. (laughs) 
we may be wrapping this study up real quick. Well, that remains to be seen, Scott. Okay. You mentioned the major prophets. We've covered three of them. What's the last one? Uh, Here we go again. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Very good. Daniel is next. And I'm happy to say I did find a prayer to the Creator in Daniel. Hooray! (laughs) It's Daniel's prayer of praise and thanksgiving in Daniel chapter 2. Now, for a quick setting of the context, we need to remember that Daniel was taken captive as part of Nebuchadnezzar's first attack on Jerusalem. The king of Babylon took some of the cream of the crop, so to speak, back to Babylon after conquering Judah, and Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were among those nobles taken. Daniel's three friends being better known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm Mm-hmm. But can I ask a quick question? Sure. When they were taken captive and we read the accounts of those events in the first few chapters of Daniel, wasn't that before the events described in Jeremiah 32? I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't tear down the walls of Jerusalem when he took the first captives to Babylon, right? That's exactly right, Scott. So since what we're going to read in Daniel chapter 2 happened shortly after he was taken captive— This prayer we're going to read was offered to God by Daniel before the prayer, in fact, almost 20 years before Jeremiah's prayer, recorded in Jeremiah 32, 17. It was only two years into Nebuchadnezzar's rule when he asked his council of wise men to interpret a troubling dream he'd had. (laughs) But he also made the demand that they tell him what the dream was and then interpret it. And if they couldn't, He was going to, quote, tear them limb from limb and their houses made a rubbish heap, unquote. That seems reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, right. Well, you know, that's a poignant reminder of the absolute power wielded by the king. So, of course, the magicians and the wise men couldn't tell him the content of his dream. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And it's at this point where we'll start reading in Daniel chapter 2. Scott, read Daniel 2.13. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. In order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And now this is the prayer. Keep reading, Scott. Okay, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. 
It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Okay, now let's not underestimate the gravity of this situation. God's answer to their prayer saved their lives. Yep. They were scheduled to be killed along with the rest of the wise men. But since Daniel was given not only the content of the dream, but its meaning, he, his friends, in fact, all the wise men were spared. Dr. Scripture, I would think all those magicians and sorcerers in Nebuchadnezzar's court would have chimed in with Daniel as he was giving thanksgiving and praise to God. If they didn't, they should have. But whatever they thought, surely they would have realized that something supernatural had happened. And Daniel, as always, was quick to give all the credit and glory to the God of heaven. And in what he says about his God, he was not only acknowledging his God was the God of heaven, but by the words Daniel uses to describe him, he was identifying his God as the creator, as far as the Babylonians would have been concerned. Now, I grant that Daniel does not specifically use the term creator or maker of heaven and earth, as we often read in the Bible. However, I think the description of Daniel's God being in control of time, history, and light all point to his identity as the creator. Dr. Scripture, I have a question about how Daniel refers to God. Okay. I noticed that he doesn't identify God as the Lord. As you've already pointed out, he says, God of heaven. Is there a reason why Daniel doesn't call God the Lord, meaning the Hebrew name Yahweh? That's an excellent observation, Scott, and there may be a reason for it. I didn't mention it when we started reading at verse 13 of chapter 2, but go ahead now and read verses 3 and 4. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. Hmm. Do you notice the Chaldeans spoke in Aramaic? That's o right. O king, live forever. And from Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 7, the text is in Aramaic. Hmm. And nowhere in the Aramaic section does the name Yahweh occur. Yet in chapter 9 and throughout the rest of Daniel, the name of God, Yahweh, occurs many times. So it seems to be a function of the Aramaic language that God's name, the Lord, does not occur. And that may also be the reason the specific term creator is found in Hebrew is not used in the prayer we're considering in Daniel 2. But let's look again at what Daniel says about his God. The one we know is Yahweh, creator of the heavens and the earth. He begins in verse 20 by saying, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Now, the word translated God there is the Aramaic word Ella. Notice it's not Elohim, which is the common word for God in Hebrew. Now, the only places in the Old Testament where the name Ella occurs are where Aramaic is used. The entire book of Ezra and Daniel chapters 2 through 7. And in one other verse, and as often is the case, we can learn a lot from the exception. The one use of the name Ella, besides in the Aramaic sections of the Old Testament, is in Jeremiah 10, 11. Hmm. And what we learn from this verse is, 
Ella is the name the pagans used for gods they worshipped. In this passage, remember, the Babylonians have been attacking Judah, and the Lord is telling Jeremiah to instruct the idol worshippers they are foolish to trust in the same powerless Ella in the form of idols that the Babylonians do. Scott, read Jeremiah 10, 11. Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. The word there translated gods is that Aramaic word, Ella, and the Lord declares they did not make the heavens and the earth. Jeremiah then goes on to describe the true God. Verse 12, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding, he has stretched out the heavens. So, it appears that the pagans of Babylon not only did not know who Yahweh was, they had a false idea about who the creator or creators were. Therefore, in Daniel's prayer, he not only acknowledges that the name of his God is to be blessed forever, he describes what his God has done and is doing. The actions only attributable to the creator of all things. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.